Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. My name's Tom Bedell, and today, as you've probably already noticed, there's no Matt Messiano, but I am, of course, joined by Jordan Weimer or Weimer. Which is it? I never, I never know. Wherever you prefer. Wherever you prefer. Wherever you prefer. Like Jeremy and Gakia. Call me what you want, mate. Uh, exactly. <laughs> excellent. Lot more. Cabaselli, Cabaselli. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How are you doing? I'm doing well, actually. Um, it is weird, actually, just being us two. It's not not too often, but unfortunately, with Matt's six-game suspension for spitting, I think, um, <laughs> I think we'll have to make do. I think we are really, when you think about it, we are essentially the double pivot of Hamza Chowdhury and, and, and Edu Kayembe, I think. I mean, you know, you're quite you're quite negative, I'd say, in possession, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you like, to dive, you like to dive into tackles, and I'm definitely very left-footed. So true. I think the positivity Matt really. brings will be, will be lost. But so, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah, good man. Excellent. I enjoyed that analogy very much. Wasn't planned in any way, so good good work. Um, we, we won a game. It was pleasing in pretty much every sense, beating Norwich 2-1. Uh, top line thoughts, was was that the best performance of the season? Yeah, I think it might be. You know, I think obviously Stoke is always going to be one that we're going to look at and say, you know, it's a complete performance in the sense that it was dominant. But I don't think... The difference, I think, between the two games is we weren't tested too much by Stoke. And I think, at least last night, whilst Norwich weren't at their best, they do pose a bigger threat in general. Uh, the game was closer and we had to show a, a little bit of a steelier side um, to our game as well. I think there's more positives to take away uh, just because of the opponent and the, kind of the manner of the game um, in some ways. But it, yeah, I think it's probably up there. I think for me, it's the best um, best performance and and not just, as I said, not just the 90 minutes, but also what you can take away from it going forward as well. I think overall, as a 90-minute performance and everything outside of it, it was probably the best. How about you? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so, definitely. I said at half-time to Andy, who sits next to me, that it felt goal aside and you know the timing of that goal from Josh Sargent. Being a football fan, you just think, oh, God, worst time, right before half-time, and they've not really had a sniff. Yeah. Uh, bloody Josh Sargent loves scoring against Watford. Couldn't they have barned with a banjo most of the time? But uh, gets got two in two games now against us. Um, it felt like we'd actually played well, and the result, the, the kind of rewards had been there. Whereas at Stoke, by the end, we were like, oh, yeah, it's great. But, you know, if you actually went back, I think... For a lot of it, it was fairly even. They had a little spell, we had a little spell, and by the end, they kind of collapsed and we built on that. But that, you know, first 45 against Norwich felt like a genuinely positive foundation to build off mm-hmm. of. It wasn't perfect, but 
compared to what a lot of what we've seen this season, it, it felt you know by some way the most encouraging. Yeah, yeah. I don't think any of us had to see perfect yesterday, so it was it was definitely um, it definitely met the kind of hopeful expectations that some of us had. I'd say hopeful expectations. You're so right. That is where we're at. I think at the moment, isn't it? Um, you said kind of things to take away. What what do you take away from that to build on going forward? Uh, I think kind of the first thing that came across, it really felt like it was the first, one of the first games we felt like we had a bit of fight about us, um, which I know is a proper, kind of quite an old cliched kind of a, pro, a view to take on it. But, you know, we had some we had some intensity to the game. We had some work ethic in there. Uh, the players in the pitch did really well uh, from, from that perspective. Uh, I think we, so many games this season, we've, we've, we've failed to be the aggressor in situations and it comes to, you know, loose balls, recoveries and so on. The game against Blackpool is a prime example, you know, seeing that we lost every second ball and we weren't able to make it into, you know, into those situations quick enough. We were just off the pace. And I thought yesterday was one of the, one of the first times we saw us kind of be the dominant team in that sense. We were able to get to things quickly. You know, we recovered the ball well. If we took an extra touch, we managed to keep playing through it. And it was just, it was positive. And I think that builds momentum. And, you know, momentum is so important in, in, in every aspect of, of, of football. You know, a fluid sport that it is, you have to try and generate that as much as you can. And those little things can make a big difference. And I think that was the, the first thing that really stuck out to me. Um, it's something we can take away kind of going forwards. Uh, I think we looked, obviously, we made some tactical changes, which helped. Um, which is always positive. I think you know making changes for changes' sake can be an issue, but when you're doing it for positive reasons, I think it's um, you know you, you want to see it, and I think it made a big difference last night. And uh, uh, you know going forwards, we can see that it doesn't have to be the exact same change, but just the the option to do so is, is something that's quite promising. I also thought we looked uh, whilst we did flag a little bit towards the end. I thought we were consistent for a much larger spell of the game than we have been all season too. Yeah. I'd, no, I'd agree with that wholeheartedly. It's interesting you said about the kind of, you know, being first to things and so on. thought that was really evident um, in in Loser and Espria, particularly the amount of times they yeah. seem to get a, a toe to the ball, a foot to the ball, slide in. You know, they're both quite sort of tenacious players, despite the obvious technical quality they've both got. And I thought yesterday, particularly, they really made a big difference in, in the midfield there and in, in kind of breaking up play when needed to mm. and, and, and retaining the ball, I guess, when we needed to. And not necessarily by passing it. I mean, in that instance, by, you know, if a pass was slightly too short to them, they would kind of slide in and poke it on, help it on or, or whatever. Yeah, I think um, Loser's defensive side of his game is very underrated. I think it, it is something that he really adds and tenacity and he's just difficult to play against. Um, he's not quite as tenacious as Tom Cleverley off the ball, but they have the same level of try hardness about them at times. Um, it's maybe a little bit over shadowed by his ability on the ball but he's he's quite tenacious and he's he's someone that's difficult to play against he's in he gets in good areas and I think uh defensively he's he's awkward to play against the midfield because he is going to be around you he's he's quick he's 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 small he's got a low center of gravity so he's quite quite good at staying on you uh closes down angles quite well and yeah he did, did a lot of work for us on, on both ends of the pitch really I don't know if it's because I'm more aware of him this season because we've been waiting for him to come back or yeah, I don't know what it is, but I, I put this to you. It feels like he's been freed up a little bit more this season to play as the kind of more advanced midfielder um, of the, the the kind of three when it's been a three. But, you know, him and Chowdhury, the two, he is by far and away the more kind of advanced, more attacking 
of mm. those. Whereas last season, often felt like he was, you know, had the kind of the shackles on, and he was expected to sit and screen. Is is that fair? Yeah, I think the difference is, you know, in the Premier League, like under Hodgson especially, you you're asking so much of them defensively. You can't really take offensive risks, or you know, you, you don't want to take offensive risks. And he ends up being that deeper lying player. He's got the potential to carry the ball, play forwards more often. He was a little bit shackled by that, yeah. Also, the fact that we weren't as dominant in possession. Not that we're extremely dominant now, but we are obviously looking for more control in games possession-wise than we were last season. I think last night was a good example of that. Um, obviously, away at Blackpool, when he when he played, he was in the kind of more advanced position. Last night, playing deeper, I think it made a big difference. Next to Shadri, who's, you know, his range of passing is not fantastic, but he's someone that can play the simple passes with the tempo. And when you have someone like Loser in there playing a deeper position. Uh, the ability, he, the, the kind of range in possession he gives us is, is so significant. And there's quite a few occasions last night where just him being in there, the positions he takes, you know, it, it improves the passing options for the players next to him, especially you have someone like Shadri who's relatively limited. Having someone like Loser just taking up a position to allow freedom in other passes or even just a pass into him. You can be pretty confident you can find him around Loser and he's going to take a good touch and turn and try and get the ball out. And, even the build-up for the penalty last night, um, you, you look at how the penalty was won and kind of wind it back 20 seconds, and it, it comes from Imran Loser picking the ball up in the awkward position, in that deep, deep, deeper line, you know, kind of position where you'd expect him, Chowdhury or Kambe to be on the pitch. The difference is he picks up the ball, takes a touch, he finds a pass inside, which is a high, relatively high-risk pass, but he's got quality to execute it, uh, and from there we break and we get a chance. And you know, you, you put one of the other two options in there. Chowdhury most likely or you know Campbell most definitely and you're not getting out of that situation with a chance on goal and you kind of see the difference it makes having someone that can do that so it's a real big plus to have in the team I think you can't be stressed enough how much of a difference that sort of player can make and it just helps the balance you know you talk about the the two sitting players and being the screen and so on the you know the ideal makeup for that sort of midfield the classic kind of 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 maybe where you see the double pivot and you've got the the deeper lion player the the defensive player the box-to-box player and the attacker i think he just really excels in that box-to-box role mm. no he was he was excellent and a nice uh as if we needed it a timely reminder of probably how much we're going to miss him if he ends up being banned for six games um mm. in terms yeah. of uh, in terms of the uh, the kind of midfield composition, I guess, what did you make of that last night? It felt like there was more desire to progress the ball quickly, more tempo, more tenacity and what have you in there with the, with those three, that kind of triangle of loser, Chowdhury and Esprit. Obviously touched on Chowdhury's kind of shortcomings, but he contributes to that in his, his willingness, his to put do the, the hard yards and get the ball back. What did you make yeah. of that three? Is that by some distance our strongest three in there? Uh, potentially, potentially strongest. But I think I think the the main thing you touched on there is tempo, and I think tempo is is contagious as well. If, if someone plays at that in that way, it, you know you you're inspired to do so yourself. And when you've got Chowdhury, as I kind of touched on there as well, he can he can play at a tempo even if it's relatively simple passing. He, he plays with the speed that you'd expect and um, and having someone like Loser kind of play forward and look to play forward, someone that thrives on that like Espria. Espria is really fun to watch. He's still raw and he's still kind of as, you know, you can see him learning on the pitch, but he, he plays with confidence. And I think when you get players that are confident in midfield, you, know, you can do some pretty special things and you can you can find those ways of, of progressing the ball and attacking, which you wouldn't maybe see otherwise. And I think we're, we're quite used to seeing a team that's been quite, stagnant in midfield and laboured you know you think about the games we've had cleverly Kmbe, 
Um, you know, Chowdhury kind of, Chowdhury's elevated by having those players around him, the kind of the stronger stronger possession players around him. So it, it was a positive one. Best midfield three potentially, but there's still other options in there. You know, you could you could slot Dilly Bashir in there somewhere potentially, or you could have Pedro at ten. Uh, but I think uh, I, I think it's a much better balance uh, in terms of the profile of players that's on the pitch. Mm. And a word on Espria, I thought he was really good. Yes, they maybe didn't kind of nab the headlines in the way that Loser did, but a, another strong showing. And it just I don't know. He to me feels like someone who week by week gets better and you know really stamps his authority on the game increasingly. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, look, he's he's unpredictable. He's he's talented and he's 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 confident. Doesn't play with any fear. Uh, he's good off the ball, and you know he's gonna he's gonna miss some chances. He's gonna take some shots and in, in positions where you know maybe he should pass. But I'll ha- I'm happy to see that all day. Honestly, it's something that's um, it's only good for his development. And I think playing under someone like Bilic, you you, you know, gives freedom to that number ten. Uh, I think give him all the freedom he can, you can, and get as many touches on the ball and, and see what he can do. I think it's really good. Um, let's just quickly finish on loser. Did you expect him to take the penalty? Um, did you have confidence? Who goes next time? <laughs> Good questions. Uh, expecting to take a penalty, I did expect someone other than Saar to take it. I think after we've the kind of last couple of penalty penalty options, we yeah we've missed yeah we've had two penalties this season, missed both, haven't we? Um, so I, I think mm. given the given the kind of last game, last opportunity he had, didn't surprise me. Saar wasn't taking it. Did a little bit, and I honestly I had the gut feeling. I think a lot of us had the feeling that that Luz would miss it, and I, obviously he was. I'd say he was probably quite anxious about the thought as well because it's one of those kind of conservative penalties that's just not really not really pushed with any sort of real force into either side. It's just kind of a soft effort. Um, in terms of who takes it going forward, you know, if I feel like if Davis is a confident penalty taker, he steps up there and says he wants the ball. So that would indicate to me that he's not. Um, I'd probably give it to Loser again, honestly. And I think I would trust his technical ability to to kind of get past the mental side of things, I think he'd dispatch it the next time. But it's a tough one. We don't have a real mm. set in stone penalty taker. It does, you know, it's something that's just got to be, yeah. No. When I saw he was the one to take it, I thought, what? And then I thought, actually, yeah, you know, he's good technician, strikes the ball well. So, yeah, I was kind of surprised with what he ultimately did. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed to him trying again. I'm, I am surprised that someone like Keenan Davis wasn't kind of in there. I, I guess they probably discussed these beforehand as much as we see teams arguing over uh, who's going to take it when it comes to it um yeah i was kind of surprised keenan davis wasn't wasn't in there um with a bit more force but let's hope we get another one before too long because uh it would be uh, a bit of a bugger to keep up this record of of uh, missing them all agreed trying to work out if we would admit if we'd had one that we'd scored or not this season but i'm glad you've confirmed that yeah we've had two missed two which is pretty bloody wretched yeah well, with with the wingers running at the uh, defenders the way they were yesterday, yeah. I think there's a chance we can get more. So that was the question I wanted to get to you. What do you fi- what do you think about initially, and what do you think about during the game of uh, the switch of sides for Semer? And yeah, the well, that was my next question to you. So let's discuss that in a bit of detail. Yeah, it, it was interesting, wasn't it? When I saw Semer, you know, once kind of kickoffs been taken and players fall into shape, and Semer was on the right, I thought. Oh well, maybe it's just a you know a ploy for the first ten minutes, and they'll switch sides or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, obviously that wasn't the case, and it was surprising. But actually, it worked, and it worked really nicely, didn't it? Ismail Assar 
was yeah. the man that kind of involved in all the big moments, I think, wasn't he? Got the assist for the first goal coming mm-hmm. inside, got the assist, uh, the kind of pre-assist, I suppose, for the second goal, going down the line, cutting it back. I think Aspria had the shot, didn't he? And it kind of fell at Davis's feet. Yeah. Won the penalty as well. Um, and Ken Semmer just continues to have a, a really, really decent season for me. He's just... Yeah. Grown, I think, even from the last time he was in the championship. I think they're a little bit more to his game this time. And he was, you know, wasn't necessarily brilliant yesterday, but just kept grafting, kept doing the stuff that he needed to do. And, and you know, it's almost Ken Semmer-like to be pushed over to his wrong side, very much his wrong side, because we all know how left-footed he is, to help the team and help, you know, potentially get more out of Ismail Assar. Um, what did you reckon? Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, I think we... I think we discussed it on here as well, but I kind of went over it on the the Billich tactics video that I did mm. when he arrived. But the the kind of the narrowness of the wingers that he likes to use, getting the, the the two wingers, the striker and the number ten, all involved in close proximity, just kind of overloading that middle of the pitch, but also having that flexibility to get wide. I think having the I think having the the wide players come narrow and be aggressive is really positive for us. I think it suits the strength of the players. But I think too, one of the frustrations we talked about for Saar for a number of years, it kind of goes on and off throughout the season, it feels like. But when he doesn't run at his man, it's always an issue. Uh, for the right-hand side, quite oftentimes, you see him kind of stand up the man, get in the one-on-one position. He'll just kind of take a touch and roll it back to the full-back at times. He's going to kind of, you know, get your man and take it on. Uh, obviously, he puts some really dangerous crosses into the box. He can get shots away from the right when he does get into that kind of wide area of the box. But I think from the left, it just it adds more impetus. It adds more... It makes the run at the defender a little bit more tempting for him. Uh, I think because you are kind of primarily running to get on either a shot on at goal or that angled pass forwards, you kind of have to take on your man a little bit more. He's not really trying to get on the outside of the fullback and whip across in so much. He's not as confident on that left foot. So I think it's a clever move from Bilic to kind of, you know, pro- promote him or kind of push him into running at players a little bit more, I'd say. I think that's definitely probably part of the thinking there. And also, look, he's a threat. He's a threat on his right foot on the inside and... If he runs at players, even if his cross from his left side isn't perfect, he's going to commit defenders in the box. He's going to cause chaos, and you know he he can play both ways. You see, for the for the, for the goal where he cuts inside and he has a cut back out, you know the, the defenders probably expecting him to stick on that right foot and have a shot, but he's got the ability to go back onto that left. And yeah, he's he's a dangerous player, and I think I think putting him in a position to succeed is good. You've seen he's done it for Senegal as well. He's played in the left hand side. Um, I'm not sure I said Senegal like that, but Senegal. he's played on the left-hand side and he's uh, Senegal. I had a bit of an accent to it. Anyway, he's played on the left-hand side and he can be effective there. So it's it, it's it's good. It's good to see. And, and Semmer, you know, that would be my concern was, you know, we know how right-footed Semmer is. We've seen him play on the right before and he, he looks exposed. But I think, again, playing more narrow, I think helped him. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he was on the right-hand side and he, he's just trying to, you know, hug that line and kind of get past his defender and put a, bo- a ball in the box, it's harder. But when he's being... A little bit more aggressive, a little bit more narrow. We saw him having that confidence to whip a ball in or try and get a ball in with the right foot, uh, more from kind of the edge of the penalty area rather than being pushed right outside yeah. towards that touchline. He could drive towards the byline and kind of pull the ball, pull the ball back. And I, I thought he looked more confident. He took a couple of efforts with his right foot or attempts to get the ball in the box. Uh, but he was also clever enough and skilled enough to, to beat defenders this, at this level. It was a nice opportunity he had. He was unfortunate where he kind of did the kind of half fake drag back and then pop the ball back forward with his back to goal, kind of got a turn onto his left foot and got a shot away and it was a good save. But 
it was a good performance from the wingers, and it, it really helped. It really helped when you have someone like Keenan Davis too, who can be that bounce board. You've got Aspria behind him, uh, and I think it's a really good uh, setup for our for attacking unit that we have. I think it was a good use of the players we have available. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah, it's a good point, actually, with Samir. You know, playing on the right-hand side, there are still, you know, roles or instructions within that that dictate how you play that position, aren't there? And you're absolutely right. The, yeah. the, one of the first times I think I saw him on the right was the uh, Javi Gracia season against Bournemouth, I think it was at home. He was on the right. I mm. was in the Bournemouth or Cardiff, someone rubbish. I was in the Sir Elton John, and so he was right in front of me in the first half. And, he, you know, he was trying to go down the line, and then he inevitably hit that block every time. It's like, right, well, now I have to stop, check back and come in on my left. And, you know, it just made it too easy and too predictable. But, yeah, you're right. It was a lot kind of narrower yesterday, which actually... Um, when you've got fullbacks, or certainly on his side, you've got Dan Gosling, who is not a particularly gung ho fullback. I guess might be a little bit kind of counterintuitive, you know. If, if he goes in, you expect the fullback to bomb on perhaps and and get round him, but um, it certainly worked. Um, here's a here's a question for you. Billich is kind of jumping all over the place here a bit, but I think it's worth bringing up. Billich has kind of talked a lot since um, and before the game about having the clear week, no midweek fixture for the first time since he's got here and, you know, a full week to work on the training ground. How much of a factor do you think that 
has been in in this performance and 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 generally kind of can be going forward as he tries to get his plan across. Yeah, I think it probably is um, is a factor. I think I think for me, probably a lot of it is about setting expectations, and I think the, the difficulty for him probably hasn't been getting his point across from a a technical sense. I think it's more just kind of what what is he expecting from these players. You know, can he see enough of his players to make a decision on who he wants to play, where and when? Uh, it's probably as, as useful for him as it, as it is for the players to just kind of assess. Um, I don't think what he's asking the players is is really extremely difficult for any of them in the sense that he's not, it's not overly complicated. It's not really kind of, it's not really kind of like a, a an overly sophisticated technical plan that he's trying to instill to them, or at least not what we've seen yet anyway. So I think just having the time with the guys to to kind of get get things together and just, you know, the, the more time, the better in that sense. So I think it's been positive for sure. Uh, and, and it's something that's just definitely going to help. I think, you know, the, the congested schedule is always going to be difficult if you kind of, you know, you're playing away games, you're traveling, your training schedule's kind of changed, and it's just, it's just hard. But um, it, it was good to have that for him. Obviously, if he's talking about it, he he feels that. Uh, and I think the players are just starting to get a little bit more on board with what's going on. That kind of came across just in the uh, the application from the guys yesterday. I thought it was much better in general on top of the execution of the plan. And the other thing he's kind of come out and said post game is is fitness, um, which I think is quite interesting because it's one of those things that a lot of managers say when they come into a new job, whatever the club, isn't it? Oh, you know the players aren't fit enough. We need to improve from from that side of things. It's quite an easy, um, you know, play for time almost, isn't it? Yeah. Is that fair? Is it is it fair from him from from his point of view to say? We need to work on the fitness to kind of execute what he wants to do, particularly, I think, out of possession. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's a hard one to gauge from where we are, but clearly we've we flagged a bit early in games. You know, whether that's down to, I don't think it's down to like cardiovascular capacity of the players. Uh, I think what he probably means or what he probably feels in terms of fitness is minutes in their legs and the build up to games being higher higher intensity training sessions or kind of higher volume of training has an effect into the game more than the players don't have the ability to last 90 minutes i think it's a case of you know muscular fatigue cramp all these things that play and all these things that happen you know minor muscle injuries um, soft tissue damage that happens during a week of intense training i think the fitness level wouldn't surprise me it's not so much a case of let's try and get these players up to the point where they can run as hard as they can for 90 minutes but as much as let's try and get these players in a situation where they can stay on the pitch for longer. And I think that was something we'll see um that's something we'll see come through if there's a slight change in schedule, which it sounds like there will be based on some of the other reports we've heard. Um and you know, based mm. on kind of the injury situations we've had as well. Doesn't sound like the players aren't working hard enough in training. It sounds like an opposite problem. Yes. So let's that tease us up nicely, which was entirely unintentional. But um let's talk <laughs> let's talk about the situation that's uh kind of evolved throughout the week obviously I think after Blackpool Slavon Bilic talked and kind of called out the situation about the number of injuries and said you know it's strange I want to get to the bottom of it and then in the week we obviously got the news that uh, Alvaro Reyna who was the uh, performance coordinator uh, had left the club reported by Andrew French what do we what do we know about this what does he do or what did he what did he do and what do we think the kind of the impact of this change is going to be as you've kind of alluded to hinted at there 
Well, I think it's, it's, it's somewhat difficult to quantify because the role varies and the names vary between roles at different clubs and so on. But the implication would be that, and, and generally kind of what you'd expect from that sort of role is he's a guy, you know, he, he's going over the workload of the players. He's looking at the, you know, kind of injury situations. He's, he's deciding the intensity, not necessarily of the individual training, although perhaps depending how involved he is, but, you know, he's the guy that's ultimately in charge of monitoring and assessing at what level players should be training at, um, playing at, you know, he's going to be the guy that's monitoring the, the kind of traffic light system that, that that's available for clubs. They're kind of looking at these players and saying, you know, Isman Asar's played too many minutes or he's not got enough minutes in training, he needs to be working on this, that. He's ultimately in control and he's deciding kind of rest periods and all these situations. He's got a lot to do, basically. He's got a big job. But when it comes to overall volume and intensity of training sessions, he's he's there to, to, to monitor those things. And if there's issues with that, if we feel like we're doing too much or too little, uh, then he's the one that's got to act. And clearly, if the club are moving on from him, they're feeling that his his regime has been a little bit too heavy and then possibly been resulting or at least contributing quite heavily to some of these injuries we've been having, this injury record that we have, which is pretty wretched. And and based on some of the reports and some of the things I've heard, it sounds like uh, it was pretty heavy uh, to the point where it's affecting the players both physically and mentally. And he's also have to remember he's been here since Javi Gracia. So it's, it's not a short it's not a short time that he's been with the club and we've had quite a bad injury record since. Yes, it's one of those things where without knowing exactly what happens behind closed doors, it isn't hard to draw some sort of correlation there, I think, is it? It will be very interesting to see what happens, I guess, over the rest of the season. One of the things that probably tied into that a little bit, or certainly connected, was the report from Adam Leventhal today on The Athletic talking about the kind of preparation for this game and the build-up. Uh, the intention had been, uh, Adam certainly reports, that the players would spend uh, four nights together in a hotel from Tuesday through until the Saturday. That was then changed to two nights, Thursday and Friday night. Uh, and then in the end, it was scrapped altogether and they just spent the Friday at home with their families and had a light training session on the Saturday morning. What do we, what can we take from that? What do we read into that, if anything? It's obviously dangerous trying to read into things, but... Yeah, well, I mean, that's what we're here for. So um, <laughs> we like to read into everything we can. Um, well, look, I mean, it, it's tough because the way it's phrased it to kind of suggest that it's some of a punishment, right? Um, to kind of, you know, it's, it's like a detention. You know, you've not been performing well. Well, you got to put some more time in. You got to kind of be away from the things you like. It's a little bit patronizing to to personnel, I'd say. And I don't think a group of adults and professionals necessarily going to really in, enjoy that sort of treatment. Um yeah, I mean, look, I think I think Billet just clearly felt that it's not the way to handle the situation. You know, when it comes to this is this is the thing with any sort of situation, it's any sort of leadership um, situation. You have to understand how you motivate uh, and how you deal with a, a certain group of people, and it's hard because it's dynamic. You've got different characters and so on. It's there's never kind of a blanket approach that's going to suit everything, or very rarely can you find that. But you 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 strive for the best thing, you, your best fit you can, right? You strive to look and and decipher what the best way to lead a group of players is. And, you know, we've obviously had varying degrees of success through different attempts, but I think what's become quite evident is that sort of approach very rarely has success in the current age. I don't think it's something that's as relevant now. Uh, and I think Billich has understood that the players were, were in a bad position and they weren't happy, they weren't feeling good about things. 
Uh, and and it seems, uh, according to the Athletic, that the the club listened to Birch's opinion on this uh, and gave him the control to make that change. Uh, and this is something again. This is something that apparently was potentially impacted by the change of um, of Avaro kind of leaving the leaving the club and not being involved anymore. Have to remember too, his the perspective of, of from him. He's not there so much about. He's there to look at the player as an athlete outside of kind of just the technical ability of the player and so on. He's monitoring them as athletes. And if he feels that this also plays into his role, then you know perhaps the change there has also led to some flexibility in, in deciphering those things too. Because apparently he was also involved in the fact that the players were staying at hotels fairly often before home and away games anyway, uh, which seemed to be a bit of an issue with the, uh, with the playing stuff too. So it's an interesting one i think it's positive for us to see the club give any sort of control up you know allow some kind of um some sort of dichotomy of leadership and allow that kind of trickle down effect to give Bilic a little bit more power it's not stuff that's going to be detrimental to the club over the years but it's something that he can control now and and, and have some positive effect yeah it's interesting you say that because i was going to pick up on that theme myself actually and say that a club that's run the way watford is i think the point is not to do that almost, isn't it? That yeah. you have the an owner who's heavily involved, the sporting director. Previously, we've had a technical director as well. You know, a lot of these staff in key roles, head of roles and so on, are appointed by the club, I think, aren't they? And then, you know, the head coach has is expected to slot into the existing setup. You know, I think some of the more senior guys have brought in more staff with them. Um, I don't know how many Rob Edwards was allowed to bring in. The impression was that Richie Carr was probably one of few. Um, but it's interesting that this has happened, I think, isn't it? And I, I, the cynical part of me, which you know doesn't rise up very often, does wonder if these changes are linked very much to the Billich appointment and perhaps Rob Edwards wouldn't have been... Uh, given the kind of uh, latitude to to enforce any of these changes, am I uh, way yeah. off the mark there? Do you reckon? Or no, no, I think it's probably I think it's probably fair. Honestly, I think that's that's probably a fair statement. I think, um, look, I mean, I think it's tough. Cause I'd say you'd be mad to to let Pivic in and not allow him to have influence in those sorts of decisions. But you know, we've been we've showed that we can be pretty mental and our decision making kind of off the pitch at the same time so it's it, it is it would be surprising but no I think I think what you're saying is is, is accurate um in terms of the kind of things that we've seen so far changing the the Rainer thing and so on and so forth is there anything that you're kind of aware of or anything from you know what you hear that you would like to see Change still. I'm not talking about you know huge overarching change, sell the club, etc. Cultural reset, but just you know some of the little kind of details that may be happening in the background that we aren't all aware of. Um, look, I mean, I, I don't know. I would like, I would still like to see the. Um, I mean, this is kind of a broader scale thing, but I still like to see the analytic department given more of an input, um, giving them the kind of flexibility to to have more of an impact on decision making uh, and also just kind of influence. I think too the I, I think I still like to see a longer term plan uh, recruitment wise and, and kind of start to to put a structure down, a foundation to a structure at least, to allow our team to kind of work together and have that synergy between departments and, and, and plan a little bit ahead. Cause I do still think no matter how well we do this season, there is a longer term rebuild essentially that needs to be kind of put underway. Um they're kind of the main things. I mean, I could get deeper into some of the other aspects, but we might be here for a bit too long. I, I think there's still room 
Um, speaking of kind of the, the kind of technical department from a and, and kind of sports science, athletic side of things, I think there's still things we could do better. Um, just from my brief, um, my my kind of small lower lesser understanding of what they're currently doing i still think there's there's room for more but that's more of a general point rather than just watford potentially but uh i think there's still room to improve there and i think when the kind of injuries and stuff we've had uh, I, I think we could be a little bit more advanced i think you may be surprised but the, the money and the kind of some of the elements the sports science stuff that, that goes into clubs is quite high level but there are also elements which are surprisingly below where they could be for a professional sports team as well so that would be nice to see but uh it's a little bit hard to gauge the position we're in unless you know kind of the small bits of access to do get which which kind of help yeah. illuminate some of those things no um, absolutely but from from my understanding there are elements i'd like to improve there <laughs> yes let's uh let's not get you tied up too much in uh in knots and then potentially uh the 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 wrong uh the wrong uh, end of the uh, <laughs> a, a, a tongue lashing from the club or anything of that <laughs> Um, yeah. Let's just get back to the game to finish off very quickly. Then, a couple of players I wanted to call out in particular: Dan Gosling mm. for one. Um, mm-hmm. Has he ended up by accident being our best right back? Um, I th- I don't know. I I don't. <laughs> he's done. He's done well, right? He's covered. Like he's he's done well. Do you want him playing? It, he's still not an overly functioning right back. I think we could still expect more from the right back position. Um, I think the right back could still offer more for us, and I think I would be interested to see what what Bilic makes of Ngakia. Mm. Um, if he could perhaps get a tune out of him, perhaps find a player in Ngakia, that'd be quite interesting to see. I also think there's more of an opportunity for Gaspar under under Bilic too. So I, I'm curious to see. But look, if if Bilic decides that you know we get these players back and he still goes with Gosling, I'm okay with it if that's what he decides. Um, but what we can say. It's all things considered, he's done very well. And there's that moment yesterday where Trusa Kong kind of got a little bit caught out in a, in a ball through midfield. That line was very high. The defensive line was on the halfway line. Trusa Kong kind of got caught out. Then Craig Cathcart just happened to be stuck in that no man's land where he couldn't really go for the ball. Sergeant was running down. Uh, and Dan Gosling was a man to kind of sweep up and get back into position and kind of roll back the years a little bit and uh, and make that darting run back to to defend, and that was really good to see. Those sorts of moments were really good to see. Actually, surprising thing about Gosling, as seen as on, seeing as we were kind of touching on Gosling, the actual weaker part of his game seems to actually be a little bit of possession. His time in possession is he's made a couple of bad passes in field, uh, which have almost cost us a little bit. Did it against Blackpool and again last night, but overall, I really get you know got to give credit to Dan to Dan because I think he's he's done a a really really solid job of stepping up and. And playing a position he hasn't played for a long time, and uh, and, and doing a, a, a solid job there. And then you know, the case of the Blackpool game, being our best defender. Yeah, and and next to him, William Trustecom. I don't know if it was because there were a few early instances of him using the ball quite well, or at least not giving the ball away, that I was then kind of wearing you know Trustecom tinted specs thereafter but it kind of felt like to me like he wasn't shit in possession yesterday and actually played a couple of <laughs> quite nice passes there was one instance kind of just fizzing one into the halfway line I think it might have been for loser there was one where he sort of clipped it over their most advanced midfielder for Keenan Davis on halfway um mm. yeah I don't know if the, the starting the base position was so low that anything was good but yeah that was what I felt what did your what was your view on that yeah, I think I think with centre backs, unless you're a really talented centre back on the ball, I think quite often you have to 
you have to kind of find your way into the game in possession uh, as a centre back. And I think when you have midfielders like Loser, uh, who who create space, he gives you options. Mm. Uh, and the worst thing about playing centre back in possession is not having options, right? You're trying to force yeah. things. Uh, you try and fit the ball in areas you shouldn't really try to because you want to try and keep the ball and. Yeah, I think when you look at centre-back and defensive distribution, you have to look at the midfield and the players in front of them to kind of gauge how good or bad it is. I think if you, you know, Chusa Kong's an adequate footballer in, in possession, he can play the ball. It's just that you don't want him forcing it. He's not really going to, he's not really going to surprise you in possession in terms of he's not going to make passes you wouldn't expect him to. But if you open up those routes for him, if you if you wanted to play with distance, he can. If you wanted to play into midfield, he can. You just got to make sure it's a, it's a higher percentage opportunity. And I thought the midfield did a good job of finding space to receive the ball. And, and I thought he did a good job of executing that. And I think the same goes for Cathcart too, who's, who's also very good. Um, but but if, you, if you put Trooster Kong in the right situation, he's a very adequate defender at this level, even in possession, I'd say. I would go along with that. He's... Yeah, adequate at this level. I think I put serviceable championship defender in my uh, in my piece, and I think he's one of those players. And and he's, he's a likable person too, right? He, and he, he has a, he has an intangible to the team as well, which is yeah. And that's one of those things that kind of I think people have you know certainly on Twitter have kind of used as a stick to beat people with because they're perhaps not the footballer that people want them to be. But I I do think it's there's there's something to be said for having a guy in there like that who's evidently a leader you know captain of an international team has played that leadership role before you know is a self-confessed Watford sympathizer maybe not fan but Watford sympathizer you know there aren't there can't be many uh Watford fans in the professional game and even fewer who are you know Virgil van Dijk levels of centre-half ability, although maybe on the basis of this season, that's not what you want. But, um, uh, you know, we can't, probably can't be too picky. And actually, a bit like Ken Semmer, I think he's the kind of person who probably comes into his own and is, is you know, I don't want to dress this up as a victory for squad planning and so on, or, or lack thereof, but he's the sort of player that, well, he's still here and, we you know, we can get something useful out of him um, in the in the yeah. championship. I think he's a good pro as well, isn't he? Yes, that's it, exactly. No, absolutely. Um, two final questions from me. First and foremost, is there anything that we haven't touched on that we should touch on? Anyone you want to call out or anything that happened that you want to address? You know what? No, I think I think we've pretty much covered it all. Um, Jao Pedro coming back onto the pitch is good to see. Mm. Um, he didn't really have a huge impact in the game. We have seen more, which I was interested to, to, to see once he was kind of playing under Bilic and, and get more time to kind of assess and view. But he, he's definitely he's starting to really kind of build or kind of favour that deep left-hand position to start things off for himself. Uh, you see him drifting there a lot, and I'm, I'm sure obviously everyone's kind of recognised that. But just keep an eye on that for him in the future. Just look at how he operates there. And I think with Kamara there too, uh, and, and the pace available there. I think also when you look at Ismail Asar, if he is to be operating from that position, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Uh, he's going to come deep. He's going to try and find space with that left-hand side. It's definitely his favourite approach. I think it allows him to drift inside, carry the ball, set up that kind of one-two off the bounce board of Davis and and kind of get through on goal. I think it's one to watch and um, it was interesting to see him continue that last night. Um, I think that's pretty much it in terms of um kind of events to discuss obviously we saw Kambe come on as well um i did think actually one thing i will say we did set pieces i thought we defended corners pretty well considering um we faced was it did norwich have 10 corners in the end last night 
They had quite a, quite a few. We did. And considering kind of the threat they do actually possess from someone like Grant Hanley in the box, I thought we we defended pretty well there, uh, which was good to see. Um, and, and also, I thought the delivery from set pieces from Imran Loser was also much better. We also got to see another Imran Loser kind of knuckleball style across from the from the right hand side. The kind of one that he set up for Bayo against Soak. He put one of those in last night and we didn't score from it, obviously, but it was I quite enjoy seeing that. It's quite a unique crossing technique he uses from that side. I'm quite curious to see more of that. Um, but no, I think that's about it. How about you? Have you got anything we haven't touched on you were looking to discuss? As the person who jotted down a running order, uh, I feel like I've covered everything that I want to cover. So my final question yeah. to you was, uh, Millwall, what do we expect from that? And how important is it now to get a bit of momentum? Because we know what that can do for you in the championship. Oh, God, yeah. What to expect is, is tough. But I think well, I think what we want to see, I think the next, this is the first thing we, we, we hope for, right? To see that home performance, some positivity against a team that's kind of around the top. I know Norwich, I think it's worth, it is worth stating to kind of keep, our, you know, keep ourselves grounded. Norwich weren't great. Um, they had their own deficiencies last night, but we, we definitely exploited them. So, um, but one thing to th- I say for Millwall, I think we want to go- see us go there and, and, and show some confidence, um, be the be the proactive team. Can- I would like to see us control the ball a little bit more. Um, I think we've made some strides in possession, especially if Luz is going to be there, if he's still available, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, he's available for that game um, and no ban comes through or anything. I think it's an opportunity to, to see how this team looks to, to control possession and, and be the dominant team away from home. That's... That's what I'm looking for. Um, if we can kind of take that next step in progression uh, to be in that sort of team, I think that kind of really, really farewell for us for the rest of the season and other games like that. Excellent. All right, perfect. Well, we will leave it there. The championship rolls on very quickly. Millwall again in on Wednesday and then, of course, Luton on Sunday. So... Yes, all thoughts will be turning to that very quickly, I imagine. And not least uh, for me, as I found out last Friday, I have a Luton colleague, Luton supporting colleague in my new job. So, oh, no. Yeah, that's incredibly unwelcome. Sorry to hear that, Tom. He was very reasonable, actually, but um, and, and said he wouldn't lord it over us if uh, if if we win. But, yeah, I suspect he might not be able to help himself because they are like yeah, that. You can trust them. You can trust yeah, them. That's yeah. it, exactly. Anyway... We should look forward to all that, but at first, it's a trip to the den. Thanks to everyone who tunes in and continues to uh, subscribe, share the podcast and the great feedback that we receive. Obviously, if you want to direct that feedback in a constructive and tangible manner, you can <laughs> review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We do appreciate every one of those reviews, and we will give you a shout-out as a bit of a friend of the pod. Um, if your support goes beyond that and, and you have kind of uh, a fiscal desire... To, to support us then you can visit our Patreon uh, and failing that if for some reason you aren't already following any of us on Twitter you can find us all on Twitter it's Matt Messiano Jordan Weimer Weimer I before E isn't it <laughs> yep and uh, TBB Bodell or TB Bodell I guess uh, thanks again and we will speak after Luton 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.